0: Welcome back to the Backyard Buddhist Podcast. I'm Ron Powell McLean. Welcome. How are you? I feel like this week, and I know I probably said it last week, that this week went really super fast. It was literally Friday before I knew it. And quite strangely, because we've really been... At least I've sort of been trapped um, in the house, not for any huge reason other than it's, it's really cold. <laughs> and it's been snowing on and off for days. And um, the heater's not that great in my car. And I have to park outside because um, we have stuff. Not a lot of stuff anymore, but still stuff inside the second garage bay so i didn't really feel like going out much um i did make a grocery store run at some juncture i think maybe thursday wednesday or thursday and then i guess it was wednesday and then um we ventured out on thursday to get uh to go to costco and just wander around (laughs) i think we were we were tracking our steps more than than buying things so we got a few things and it was lovely and it was kind of nice to get out of the house and darren has heated seats so that's (laughs) that's that's enough to get me in the car it's been snowy and sort of nesting i'm still um, doing well on my nutrition plan with noom which is it's just been different. I'm just going to say it's, it's just been different. And I appreciate it for the difference in not, um, not just eliminating food, but really sort of re reframing what, what I'm putting in. I've for years, I have thought of my own experience, whether it be, the movies or television that i watch the books that i read what i practice spiritually what i do from a movement standpoint and what i do ingesting what i eat and drink to be an offering i think of it think of it as offering up to my awareness for one that's the key, but also offering offering up in a devotional way to this experience and this, um, there's a word I'm looking for, but this sort of higher being within the experience. And, you know, the Many of the teachings will lean in and talk about the two witnesses, and I'm I'm leaning toward Mahayana, Mahamudra, and Dzogchen, Those are the my my primary um, my primary practices, and Dzogchen being sort of the the mothership of my experience and the len, the lens that I see most things through, but so Chen and Mahamudra are sort of hand in hand and laced together um, and uh, Mahayana Vajrayana sort of contribute as well, but it talks about the two witnesses and the two witnesses are absolute and relative. And what we mean by this, if you've not heard this before, Absolute means sort of this overall universal everythingness. So there's nothing left out. So if you think about everything contained within the universe, that that is all the absolute. So there's nothing or no one that is left out of that. And relative means this human self. So this thing that I call Ron, my mother named Ronald, my mother and father, I should say. I'll give it all to my, my mom because I'm sure dad was part of it. That um, they named Ronald and developed an ego and developed preferences and bias. Is this relative being, this relative being that has aches and pains and headaches and gets hungry and hangry and all of those pieces. But ultimately, the relative springs forth from the absolute. Yet they appear to be two witnesses, two different points of view. So there's this relative, and this is, this is key. So this relative being this relative this Ron, started having experiences as an infant. You're given a toy or a binky or a baba or whatever that's mine, that we start to develop this 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 mind thing. I want grabbing, grasping, touching, experiencing. I want the brightly colored toy. I want the thing that makes the tinkling music. I want the the thing that feeds me. And attachments start to form. And when those attachments are taken away, there is suffering. So we learn this and are, are exposed to this all of our lives. And we start developing this as we get older and start to collect things. And we start to collect attributes and start to say, Ron is this, and Ron is that, and Ron does this, and Ron does that. And when those things are threatened, there is discomfort, there is dissatisfaction, and there is suffering. And we keep leaning into that and keep trying to stabilize that. More things, jobs with money and more money and maybe that will secure the things and the stuff and the and the ego the ron is this and ron has that but then there's more as we age or become ill and we start to think about the body And our fear of losing this form that we have established as me, my, mine. And given a name and attributes. And we become fearful of what happens to this vessel that is the me, my, mine. What happens to it? What happens when I leave it? Does everything just end? Is there something else? Will I gain it anew? Will it be revived in some other way? And I can live for eternity in a youthful form, one that didn't have aches, pains, and illnesses and is perfect in our minds. So what I mean to say from this and where I was, where I went with our Dharma talk this morning, Sunday morning, was in this description of absolute and relative. I've just described relative for you and you can, you can recognize it pretty easily. But absolute is sometimes harder to find and harder to define the witness of absolute. So let me guide you. So even if you'd like to close your eyes or or maybe not distract yourself for just a few moments while we talk about this and think about Consciousness. Think about consciousness as your experience, and think about w- w- within your experience, I should say, and that you can feel your consciousness. You can detect, ah, I'm conscious, right? Your awareness, your awakeness. I can see colors. I can define things. I can, I can determine that. I'm living. But if you take a step behind all of those physical attributes, thoughts, feelings, emotions, sensations, that all are attached to bias, the bias of like and dislike, the bias of good and bad, these definitions that are provided by the relative frame of reference. So when you take a step behind, and you can notice that consciousness that is unbiased. And we often find this when we're practicing meditation, when we cut down all the stimulus around us, cut down on the distractions. Sit in a quiet place and quiet ourselves. Catching ourselves when we're distracted by thoughts of the past or future or just rumination of whatever when we can slow that down and settle in to that calm abiding that seems very peaceful and open, not chaotic, calm in nature. That we access that consciousness. And you can even call it Buddha nature, your original form, your original nature is that consciousness that can see your own relative reactions, can see the bias of like and dislike. And that inner consciousness, that pervasive consciousness, doesn't want for bias. It has no preference It's the relative self, the ego, this human form that has preference and bias, like and dislike, and attachments, all these attachments, these attachments that lead to and are the pulse and root of all suffering. Now that's big to say all suffering is caused by attachment. This is one that you should explore and sit with frequently. And how I do this is when I feel good, bad, off you know, not normal, mad, sad, glad, you name it. When I sit, and I'm talking about meditation sitting, when I sit down on my cushion or my couch, or wherever I'm gonna meditate, I check in, I check in with the physical body, and I look for any any discomfort. Look for those things that are just tightness that I can relax that I just didn't realize I was doing. And looking for anything that's a little more, um, you know, experiential that is, you know, just pain. That's body pain or discomfort that something's not particularly great, right? Maybe it's that, you know, achy knee or whatever it is that keeps showing up or toothache that you can't just wish away or relax and it stops. So we become aware of those. And then we wanna check in with the mental state. I check in with my mental state and say, what's going on? How do I feel? And just explore, how do I feel? I'm cranky, I'm tired, I'm calm. Sometimes I'm calm. (laughs) every every once in a blue moon, I'm calm. And there's not a whole lot of chatter or narrative running in my brain, but I check in what's going on. And typically there's something, there's something that I've been ruminating on, something that has been a persistent thought. And it can be, you know, it's, it's just par for the course. This is not something that We're to judge or criticize about our experience. This is not something that we want to eradicate, but something that just exists. It's like leaves on trees. They just exist, whether we think they're good or bad. They just exist. The tree just exists. So it's the same with with our experience. All of these thoughts, feelings, emotions, and sensations just are part of it. Not to be criticized, but can be examined. I'm looking for their root. So, for instance, I may think, you know, I, I've been, you know, interviewing for a job, and that makes me feel a little anxious and makes me feel a little bit uh, unsure. Um, there's part of me that feels, um, not good enough. There's part of me that feels excited and hopeful. There's part of me that that wants to then plan things for the future. If, you know, I get a good job and it's great money and et cetera, et cetera, how does that affect my future plan? So there's a rumination of thoughts that can start arising. So just taking that moment to examine and see what's, what am I thinking about? What, what's bugging me? What's not bugging me? You know, am I thinking about something from the past and ruminating, ruminating and thinking about, you know, my own traumas or my own bad experiences that I wish I didn't have. And I think about if I would have just done this or said this or not been in that space, that maybe something would be different. So checking in and seeing what is there and then pulling that apart and just asking the question, how is this attachment? How is this attachment? I've been thinking about, I got a, a Facebook message from an acquaintance from years ago that told me that, um, my first boyfriend had died and i had just we had had a video chat about i don't know three or four weeks before that i listened to him and given him some advice and he texted me back and said hey thanks this is you know really great and he apparently um unwittingly this the second or third friend i've had to this that um, took too many of his um, meds, sleeping meds, I think, and passed away in his sleep. And he had some addiction issues as well. And I, I thought, actually, that if, if something was going to happen, and he was going to die too early. It would have been 20 years ago when he was an active addict, active alcoholic. And so there's little things that pop up. And I think about the unfortunateness of his demise. I was thinking about this morning, was he alone or was it a while before they found him and what is his father doing and thinking and just ruminating on that and i can i can trace that right back to you know the attachments of you know that's someone to me that's history to me some good times definitely some bad times and some you know some regrets some things, you know, that start popping up with that. Um, but also, my own mortality is evident in those in those moments. And that's, you know, I don't care how enlightened you become or awake you become, woke, <laughs> that you still feel, I still feel, some fear and discomfort around the idea of my own mortality. And we push that off and think, oh, we're going to live a long time and we're not there yet. But it gets closer and closer. And, you know, he's a perfect example, as well as many others that you can't plan, you know, for when your end will be. So that brings up thoughts of what is the end and what happens and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, to be able to distill that down takes an unbiased consciousness to help explore and see our own condition, our own reactivity to these thoughts and feelings. Lots of emotions, all all emotions are reactions their reactions to thoughts, their reactions to circumstances. So let's keep in mind that this absolute or ultimate consciousness doesn't have the capacity for bias. This consciousness is the source of all of our consciousness. And we utilize it. It's the light behind the prism, if you will. The light behind the the stained glass of our own experience, our relative experience that we're, we're seeing here. And it helps us to see... And hopefully I've, I've at least pointed toward that relative experience and that absolute experience so that you are able to see the two witnesses. And this is important for several reasons. First is familiarization. So we want to familiarize ourselves with those two witnesses and be able to find them. When I sit on my cushion, the first thing that I want to access, after I've determined what my relative experience is mentally and physically, I want to tap to that which is the absolute that consciousness that is completely unbiased and sees these experiences and reactions as literal illusions within the matrix, if you will. Everything arising from that central consciousness, that absolute being, everything. So our entire experience is contained within that. So it's like the projector of the light behind the, the film that projects then through the lens and onto the screen and is viewed as the experience, kind of dreamlike and illusion based. And not to say that our whole lives are insubstantial like that, but they are insignificant in comparison to everything else within that absolute. Everything has the same value in the absolute sense. And that may be hard to, to grasp or um, hard to grok, but I encourage you to sit with that ponder that from that point of unbiased consciousness. So when we sit, there's, there's some teachings that help us. Five powers, in fact, and the first is determination. And you can just, I like to call this devotion, um, the, the devotional aspect of my practice where I can sit and motivate myself to explore. You know, if you like to go to the gym or you like to do yoga or there's something that you like to do that you're, you're particularly motivated in some sense to get you there, the devotional side of whatever your practice is, whether it be, whether it be running or weightlifting or flower arranging, whatever it may be. When I practice, I think of my motivation and it gets me to the seat, gets me to the seat each and every time. So there's a, a devotion a determination. There's this power of familiarization. So when we continually access that unbiased consciousness and see our relative selves, and our relative experience for what it is as an experience, as our own experience, in fact, emanating from this ultimate absoluteness, the isness of everything. There are virtuous cultivations so as we begin to familiarize ourselves and frequently come back to and start to lose that, that bias, oh, this is good or this is bad or seeking like and dislike, we can let go of that and just be with whatever's happening. Then there are virtuous cultivations that we can start to Really cultivate, we talked about bodhicitta last week, this awakened heart-mind, this openness, this knowingness, this understanding that there is a pervasive interconnectedness through us and all things. So if we are all connected, why would we want to or why would we hurt our hurt? Another. The fourth is the power of utterly disowning the cause of suffering. When we can see and know that the cause of suffering is attachment, relative attachment, then why would we not abandon it completely? seeing the suffering that it causes in our own experience and the experience of all other beings, why would we not just let completely go of that which keeps harming us? The fifth power is the power of prayer and dedication. Understanding that through this knowingness, this awakened awareness, this unbiased consciousness, that that can be shared with all other beings. So we dedicate and pray, dedicate what we know, open it, open source to every other being. Because why would we not want every other being to be free from suffering? When no one else suffers, no one suffers. So why would we not pray and dedicate everything that we know in wishful hope that every being could find that ease and calm, inclusiveness, These are the keys, the keys to awakened and rightful understanding of what's real, what's not real, what to hold on to, and what to abandon because it just has a nature of dissatisfaction, discomfort, and suffering. Why would we continue to go back to that which hurts us time and time again? It causes, it is the cause of all anger and violence, hatred. Why not relieve all of that suffering for ourselves? over and over and over again. That's why we would call a practice. Once we discover how to pedal the bike and have it stay upright, the more we do it, the more proficient we are and even just downright skillful. Why would we not dedicate and devote our practice and our time here to being in that awakened state, to be completely unbiased, loving, compassionate, inclusive, find sympathetic joy all around us. This is through practice. This is through this practice that we can find this enlightenment. It may feel uncomfortable as heck when you first start it, and it may feel ungrounded, and it may feel like you are somehow diminishing your personal experience and that individuality that you think is so important. And it's not that it isn't important, it's just not the only thing. When we can touch that and frequently touch that unbiased consciousness within, everything is fine, everything is as it should be. And we are awake and aware and can contribute in a skillful way. There's a wonderful story I ran across uh, a few weeks ago. And I feel like it it helps to explain in further this idea of absolute and relative being. So there's a monkfish and a queenfish. And the monkfish went to the queenfish and asked, I have always heard about the sea, but what is the sea? Where is it? The queenfish explained, You live, move, and have your being in the sea. The sea is within you and without you and you are made of the sea, and you will end in the sea. The sea surrounds you as your own being, consciousness everywhere, within you, without you. This is your very being, infinite, boundless nature. So let that sink in and think about that consciousness, which surrounds you, that you come from, and that you will end in, never apart, not once. Though we spend a good deal of our lives thinking that we are separate from, so devotionally, show up on a daily basis. My friends practice every day. Even if it's five minutes as you're falling asleep, five minutes in the morning when you wake up, just touching that all-pervasive, all-inclusive consciousness that is the source of all of our being. These are essential heart teachings that you can embrace to help you familiarize yourself with the sensation of touching that consciousness and seeing the relative self and all that goes with that thoughts, feelings, emotions, sensations all brewing in that relative human nature. Cultivate virtue and disown all that causes our own suffering and use the power of prayer and dedication to share it with every other being. Remember if we're coming from a place of unbiased consciousness, everyone is included because there is no one to dislike or like. All are included. All are at home. My friends, I'll be back soon. Next week. Goodbye now.